Hello, welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett after one of the craziest, well, yeah, craziest Manchester derbies I think we've seen in recent years. Man City 6, Man United 3. It could have been about 9-0, but it wasn't. I mean, Rob, I, I see that the world is ending for a few Man United fans. <laughs> I won't quite say it is for me. But what what did you make of that? We'll we'll make today's show mainly just a, a focus on the fallout from that game and what happened in it, just because it was there was so much to unpack. That uh, yeah, we learned a lot of things about Man United. We also it was also a nice reality check, wasn't it, uh, for any fan who was getting just a little bit ahead of themselves that wow, we won four games in a row, we're invincible now. There's still levels to reach, and Man City are just a behemoth of a football team. Well, it's like an episode of EastEnders, wasn't it? Pure soap opera, that Don't game. Just EastEnders, but everything. Yeah. Neither, neither do I, for that exact reason. But we're forced to watch Manchester United, who are a bit like EastEnders sometimes, in the sense that you hear that do, 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 after every bit of drama, and you think, what are you doing, Man United? So... I, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's the end of the world. Uh, I think it was an awful performance. I think there are parts that we saw that we knew beforehand that a team like Manchester City could exploit. And we'll kind of unpack a few of those today. Um, but I also think, that, you know, you've just got to take your medicine. I said that after the game. This is the kind of match when you come, come up against De Bruyne, you come up against Haaland, you come up against Foden. They are levels above what you are. Even on your best day, they are still better than you. It just so happens that Man United didn't turn up and it was all really a little boy lost act from a lot of the players. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, supporters saying, oh, why Why did he go with Ericsson, McTominay and Bruno? Yet, probably, I would wager that these are the same fans that were saying, why is he playing McFred in a Manchester derby when talking about Oli? And now they want it to revert back. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. I've been saying this uh, in conversations I've had since the game that if you've got a manager like Eric Ten Hag who's going to have an identity and a style and play a certain way, knows the way that his midfield wants to be made up. Mm -hmm. I don't think they have all of the right exact pieces in that midfield at the moment. I've said that in the last few weeks and they did get exploited. It was the midfield. It was uh, the attack were really wasteful as well. Jaden Sancho had a, a poor game, to be honest. Bruno Fernandes had a poor game. Uh, Christian Eriksen did too. Scott McTominay is getting criticised. Why isn't Casemiro playing? Uh, yeah. We'll we'll dig into all that yeah. uh, throughout the show. But uh, yeah, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on the YouTube channel as well. The Promise Land, a Manchester United podcast is what you should search for. Hit the like button on this video, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment as well. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise Land MU. For the show, Rob, where do you want to start with this? Because there's, like I say, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, but maybe we should just, maybe we should start with the fact that, like what we were touching on just a minute ago, this is a Manchester City under the greatest, right, it's, it's arguable, but probably the greatest coach of this generation. Uh, one of the best coaches ever who has had seemingly unlimited funds to build his team in a certain way. Mm. He's had six and a half years to build the style that he wants with the choice of players. Uh, every player in the world, probably, if, if they're looking for a team that wins, will choose to join Manchester City. This is a team at the peak of their powers versus Eric Ten Hag, who's had seven games as Man United manager. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to imprint 
his style on a squad of players who up until the end of last season and even up until the Brentford game, their confidence was on the floor and it still is. And you can't expect that they will be going punch for punch with Man City and coming out on top after this long. You know, there's still a long way to go. So that that's that's how I think about it. What do you think? I think as a fan, first and foremost, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of hands-off approach to a lot of this because as much as you want United to win and as much as we've felt better in recent weeks, you'd have to be kind of some kind of crazy to think that this Man United team is, is at all anywhere close to this Manchester City team, just as it stands, like you just said there. Six years of Pep Guardiola building with unlimited funds against six minutes of Eric Ten Hag. So I think that that was evident in the way the game panned out. Now, I think rather than kind of taking it instant by instant, because you could start in the second minute with Delo getting too tight to uh, Grealish, getting the yellow card, and United then just going on some kind of, you know, brain disintegration in terms of what they were supposed to do on the day. I don't think there's any point in that. I think you kind of look at the pointers of the game. I still think we can expect that this Man United team at least brings it in terms of its attitude and how it wants to play. So if you go out there and get beaten in an honest manner, fantastic, it happens. You pat people on the back, you say, right, we'll go again the next next week. But there seems to be quite a lot of hiding on the football pitch, I think, with some of the players, especially the major ones. That is a worry. And I think for Eric Ten Hag, he will be looking at that and analysing that quite deeply. Because this is all about the next year, isn't it, Scott? It's about who is going to get in the trenches with Eric. Who's going to be there with Eric the Red fighting for it towards the end of the season? And I still think that that's out. That jury is out because it's difficult to know with this lot. They are a weird, dysfunctional bunch and have been for a long time. They were Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's players, a lot of them. And still, here we are six months, 12 months on. And you don't quite know where their commitment level lies. Like, they're good against some teams and other teams, they just look scared. So a lot to kind of think about. And I think for Eric, it was good for him to see this game in the flesh, to stand there on the touchline and go, right, this is the standard. Manchester City are the standard, not just in the Premier League, but in the world. And if we want to get anywhere close to that, he can go and knock on the on the board's door now and say, right, this is the kind of investment we need to make this team better. Yeah, it's uh, it was a harsh reality check, but I, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to come out and defend United, no. but th- I think there are a number of factors which played a part in this. You know, obviously we mentioned the confidence levels. I think the fact they haven't had a game for four weeks has probably not helped either. That's two extra games that they've missed out on where they're yeah. practicing the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to play. Yeah, been robbed of that, you know, uh, and also that confidence that they did have and that momentum that they did build up after the wins over the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool, you know, that that month off has made that subside a little bit. I mean, yeah. and then coming up against Man City, who are um, very much in the groove and have this ridiculous goal-scoring machine of a striker who makes a half-chance it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a goal, you know. That his hat-trick goal was just, you know, that, that finish uh, dragged across the box was just insane. The Kevin mm. De Bruyne um, assist for him as well. He's just, he's a machine. And United have levels to go. They have levels to reach. Um, but like you say there, Rob, I think the players were a little bit scared. But I, I do understand, not that I, 
I'm, I'm, again, I'm not defending them, but you ha- also have to understand where they've come from. Like yeah. just a month ago, how can you expect these players to be ultra confident against Manchester City when they've just been thumped 4-0 by Brentford and finished wherever they finished in the league last season? Yeah. And, and I think also when you see a result like this and the, game, the way the game panned out, like I totally agree with your stance there about, I think when you haven't played for a month, all of that good work that you've built through momentum and repetition just vanishes because you've all gone on international duty or the ones that have stayed have stayed. You're not working on that stuff anymore. And then you come up against Man City and you needed to have worked against it, but you've got no choice. You know, you, there's, there's too many games packed into a short space of time and you cannot literally get on a training pitch to practice before you face something like Haaland. But, and, and this, this is, I think, where it gets kind of confusing, is that you look at these individual players, what they do and what they can bring to the table, and in a game like that, you would think that they're like, yeah, you know, I know what I can do. I've got confidence in myself, so I'm going to at least just try and do that. And there were several United players that were so far off it and just looked like dead behind the eyes. It was again like the Solskjaer period where you were looking at players and going, why are you not doing that? Like, you can do that. So what's stopping you? Um, I still think that there is a little bit of a hangover in this team from previous issues. Um, not blaming Cristiano. Cristiano sat there on the bench, but there might be a split in the camp about who thinks he should play and who thinks he shouldn't play. There might still be that there. And you can see there was a lack of togetherness for me. That's what I saw. So forget all the technical stuff. That was bad. But it was definitely a lack of we're in this together. And in recent weeks, that wasn't there. You know, it was much more, there was much more harmony. They were playing for the manager. I don't know. Like, we'll talk about Cristiano today. But I think, again, when you have this godhead at the football club and you can't even use him from the bench, Scott, because you can't, then it's going to cause trouble behind the scenes in the dressing room. And there will be people saying he should play, he shouldn't play. Um, And you lose that. It becomes a little bit of an excuse. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, well, you haven't put the guy on the pitch. So we haven't scored goals. It's like, well, is that how it works? So I think there is some theorising around all of that where United's camp is still not exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, let's let's talk about the, the selection because mm. Ten Hag has, I think we spoke about it on this show, I, I didn't think he would change his midfield options. Uh, there were suggestions that, you know, I think we talked about maybe Bruno playing false nine the other day, mm. but I always thought if Rashford was fit, I always thought he would start just because yeah. of that threat he offers in behind, which didn't come off at all. But I looked at the team and I, I'm thinking Scott McTominay versus Casemiro mainly as an example and whether um, Casemiro should have played with McTominay. I've seen people suggest that. I've also seen uh, suggestions that Casemiro should have started ahead of McTominay. But then I, I, look, I, I throw back to the cultural thing of not rewarding players based on reputation. Mm. And I, I, I understand why you picked Scott McTominay. Like, I do. And I see that people are saying, no, he should have played McTominay and Casemiro. But that is not what Ten Hag is trying to do. You need to play like Christian Eriksen midfield to connect the midfield to the attack. And Casemiro and Eric and McTominay are not those type of players. You can't really, without changing your style completely, you can't play both of them. And if he did do that, he's playing what Oli was criticized for the entire time against Man City and in big games, of playing two you know, defensive-minded midfield players to try and stop the other team rather than being on the front foot. So, yeah, obviously it didn't work, but I understand why he made that choice that he made. 
maybe circumstances change now because it didn't go well, but Casemiro hasn't been brilliant coming off the bench either. We spoke about that on the podcast over the last few weeks. So were you surprised by the team selection that he made? Not at all. That's exactly the team we all predicted that he would probably play because we've said he's a bit of a conservative coach. He tweaks rather than makes big, you know, elaborate changes. And, you know, I think, again, United fans will always have their opinion about who should play, who shouldn't play, who should be the goalkeeper, who should play in this position, who should do that. But ultimately, and this is what Antonio Conte said in his presser just a couple of days ago, he was like, fans are fans and fans have their opinions. I'm the coach. I'm the one on the training pitch with these guys. I make my decisions based on that. I don't I don't make it on populism. So the Casemiro question, I think, is, a, is an obvious one to ask and what for United fans to ask. You spent a lot of money on this guy and you're thinking big game, big name player. But like you just highlighted there, Ten Hag would have said to all of his team, you know, you train hard. The hardest trainers will get in my team, you know, who I think actually are worthy of it. It'd be very difficult, wouldn't it, to switch the system, bring Casemiro in, maybe even bring Ronaldo back when these guys haven't been playing. And you've not been together for four weeks. You know, effectively, you've not played a game together. Then he would have been criticised of, oh, you've, you've changed it too much. Why did you change it when this 11 have been winning every week? There's obvious deficiencies as in a partnership between Scott McTominay and Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen, who's not even really a central midfielder. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. playing as a number six uh, because he's earned it, because he's played so well against other teams. But it wasn't a shock to me to see that Manchester City's all swashbuckling central midfield, the best in the world, ripped through United's midfielders. Now, would Casemiro have done any any better? Some people will say yes. But again, I think they're looking at reputation and, you know, the the Real Madrid alumni at Man United. You know, that this is what the way you've got to go forward. I'm not so sure that's true. You've spent a lot of money on Casemiro. But I do believe there are reasons why he's not playing in the same way that Conte highlighted at Tottenham the other day, that there are reasons why he's not playing players from last year, this year, because he's seen differences on the training pitch. So I think Ten Hag is still trying to work all that out. I'm a little bit worried about Casemiro Scott. You know, I've said about yeah. on, on our show a lot, yeah? It's great that you spend £60 million, pound, you give him 300 grand a week, you, spend, you chuck £120 million pound at a problem the size of Frankie de Jong, yeah? And... You basically are trying to roll a six and you roll a one. I'm worried about Casemiro. I think he'll come back in the team, obviously, now with the Europa League upcoming. But you didn't buy him for the Europa League. You did buy him for games like Man City. And I don't w- think it washes with me that, you know, he's not ready. What? He's an experienced pro. He's probably the second most highest paid player at your club, second or third. And he is a bench warmer. He doesn't seem to be able to break through for a reason. There will be a tangible reason why he's not playing games. Do you think it's anything to do with Ten Hag's... uh, Let's not forget, and I said this on a show I was on yesterday, Casemiro was signed after the 4-0 defeat at Brentford. So it's not like he's had any preseason. He's not had the first two games of the season to get embedded in the style and the instruction that Eric Ten Hag will want to give his team where to stand, what to do, where to look when you have the ball. Maybe there's just... a a fact of the matter is that Scott McTominay has had since the very start of preseason to get on board with what Ten Hag wants, and he has not given Ten Hag a reason to drop him over the last four games. So I think, I, personally, I think it's as simple as that. I think maybe now we will see the change because McTominay was poor the other day, and he was not like he was not the only player to be poor. But I think if if you're United have been 
criticized for fostering a culture of just playing the big names and playing people who are entitled to be in the team. Yeah. And I think that one one of the big things is that Ten Hag needs to change that. And I think when you drop McTominay for no reason and bring Casemiro in, that's fost- that's going back to the reputation you fostered that, or the the atmosphere that you fostered that you're trying to get away from. So I, I understand it did not work. Like I'm not saying that I would have done the same myself, but I'm just trying to get in the head of Ten Hag and why he would have made this decision. Yeah, and of course, a minutiae of detail in a, in, a, in a world of Eric Ten Hag, a bit like Pep Guardiola, is that, you know, you need all those thousand details in one player's head. You know, this is what I want you to do here, here, here and here. And of course, Scotty has got that advantage through preseason over Casemiro. But I'll just go back against what I said. You don't pay £60 million for supposedly the best defensive midfielder in the universe. That's what he keeps getting caught. I hear it all the time. Every show I do or everywhere I go, Casemiro is the best defensive midfielder in the world. Why is he not playing? Well, is he the best defensive midfielder in training? I think if he was, he'd be playing. It wouldn't matter how many details were in his head. He's Casemiro. He's won all these Champions Leagues. So I think it's a little bit like the question with Varane last year, where you look at the injuries and you look at the form, and sometimes he's in and out, and people are like, mm, what's going on there? It's the same issue. Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest striker of all time. Yeah, of all time. He cannot get in a team because you cannot do what you want him to do. So that's the worry for Casemiro, is that if he cannot match Scott McTominay in the basics... I mean, that's that's a really weird thing to say, mm. but it's true. Yeah, like the basics of running and doing my work and doing that, and you cannot do it for whatever reason, whether it's a can't do or won't do, doesn't really matter. It's about how you develop the squad going forward. I do not believe for one second that Eric Ten Hag thinks that Scott McTominay is the answer at number eight for, for Man United. I don't believe that in the same way I don't believe that he thinks Christian Eriksen is the answer at number six. But he hasn't really got a lot of choice, has he? Exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah so, so you've got to go with what you've got. And quite often, some of this is just the roll of the dice. It's like, I've got faith in this because this worked last week or the week before. So I hope it works this week. But then you run into a team like, like City who do not go by probability of chance. Everything is stonewall, cold and sober. And they know, it no, there's no chance there. They know what's going to happen. They can predict the game. And... You know, could they predict six goals and two hat-tricks? No, but that's the aspiration. You know, Harlan goes out there and he said afterwards, he went, I knew something special would happen today. Been feeling it. It was coming and it's going to keep coming. I know what I'm doing here. Phil Foden, do you know what I mean? Down the pecking list, gets a hat-trick. All these players are way above Man United station, Man United players at the moment. But I still think there was a conversation to be had there about Man United's top players who didn't turn up. And the question is why? Let's talk about them because... I don't know who you want to put on this list, but I thought Bruno Fernandes was very disappointing. Um, yeah. not, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, Jaden Sancho, lightweight on the ball. Christian Eriksen, quite wasteful, but I mean, you know, he's played really well the last few games. Uh, so, And he's playing in a position that's not all too familiar with him. I think this is the kind of game where... Every, like, in United went down early on, but up until they scored the second goal, and Rafa Varane got injured, and then they pulled away before the st- before the end of the first half. The game was still in the balance. They were getting yeah. battered, but they did have opportunities to break away. I can't remember how many times I saw it, but Bruno Fernandes carrying the ball forward, gets the ball in his own half and carries it to the halfway line. First thought, without any hesitation, hit it long, hit it across the field, 
McTominay I saw do this as well. Don't just rush it. But it was there was everything was sloppy. Everything was rushed. They didn't cope with the occasion. They couldn't cope with City, and I feel like that they just needed to take gain a bit of composure, take a few more passes, work it till it's on, not force it. I think Bruno was guilty of that. Ericsson was guilty of that. And Jaden Sancho, when he did get the ball, was quite... He didn't do enough with it. Pro Anthony in that as well, even though he scored a nice goal in the second half. Uh, and Rashford was anonymous. So I think that there's a lot of players in there that you can point the fingers at. I don't think there was one player in particular who played really bad, really poorly. It was just an overall... I think they were scared. You know? Yeah, yeah. this is the difference between expansive thinking when you're on a football pitch and then this kind of inward overthinking. And what you see with these players, and it's, it's it's a common defect going way back to last year and beyond, is that in these scenarios, rather than just letting their game talk and doing the simple stuff and making sure that you're being perfect with the five and the 10 yard balls and possession, and that when, when you're getting hammered, you're trying to slow the game down to get control, to then maybe get a counter attack or a counter press, making sure you're in the right positions. That's all about expansive thinking. This is what we train for. But what you see is that Bruno Fernandes goes, I'm just going to go and get the ball somewhere. I'm going to left back, right back, centre back. Give me the ball because I'm the man, I'm the ego, and I'm going to play that ball and I'm going to play a killer pass. No, Bruno. No. Stop. Because I think, again, this is about, when we talk about joining dots with emotion, this is what happens on United's football pitch. Rather than taking collective responsibility, you get all this fragmentation with individuals, don't you? So I think you look at Jaden Sancho on the day, yeah? Jaden Sancho actually was the reason why they scored that first goal because United were on a bit of a counter-press. He gives the ball away really cheaply. Yeah. One, two, three passes, they're in, they've scored. That's how it comes. It came from United's left wing, you know, left attacking position. And Jaden Sancho immediately went... <clears throat> And the air popped out the balloon, yeah? We don't need that. Get on with your job, yeah? You made a mistake. Now go and... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done to fight by playing good football so Jaden Sancho that's on him he's a young player still but he's experienced enough to know that his job is to just get on with get on with it and play good football isn't it you know go and be the best version of yourself again whereas on the flip side I think you've got someone like Bruno who wants to show the world that he's the leader that he's the kind of apex predator for Man United no Bruno just be part of the midfield in the attack make it work help others make others better and I don't think he does that and then I think that affects Marcus at the top end because Marcus isn't a kind of 
emotional leader. Do you get what I mean? So all these things, it's like it bounces around with Man United. And this is where Eric Ten Hag will have to solve it. This is the issue of when you've played Ronaldo in the past. Everyone's like, we got Ronaldo up top. You must win games. Well, no, you don't press. Get to Man City. Man United didn't press. That's not Ronaldo's fault. So there's a there's a problem within the team fun- function of actually thinking about the game of what they're supposed to do. And I just think Man City thought after five, ten minutes, or especially when they got the second goal, they were just like, well, this is done. We're just mm-hmm. going to enjoy ourselves now. This lot have not come to play against us today. So we're just going to pass the ball around and have a laugh and have a joke and we'll score loads of goals because it's that easy. But like you said, up until the second goal, United were very much in the game. I felt all right at that point at 1-0. I thought, no, do you know what? Bad goal to give away. But if these guys do what they can do, then United have got every chance of getting a point. We looked at the conversion rates after the game. Man City had a conversion rate of 27%. Man, United had, uh, Man City had a conversion rate of 27%. United, 25%. So it was a draw on conversion rate. Now, if you'd just done your job, you might have got a point out of this game. But you didn't do your jobs. All the way back from, I think when you look at, you know, the narrative was about Martinez and Haaland, wasn't it? Yeah, before mm-hmm. the game. The game wasn't about Martinez and Haaland. No, at not end. at all. The I've game seen him about, get mocked still. For the his, game was uh, about everything in front of Martinez. Everything, midfield, attack. Well, forward, let's talk about let's talk players. about that because I think there was the the goal that uh, Harlan scored at the, the tapping at the back post, mm. where Kevin De Bruyne bends it between Martinez and Varane. Yeah, just got injured, I, I believe. Yeah, he had. Yeah. Uh, so he was carrying an injury. Great goal, brilliant goal. Yeah. I've seen criticism of Varane being a poor, in a poor position, De Gea not claiming the cross. But where does that come from? It's not. I don't. I don't think it's their fault. It's the fact that the midfield didn't stop Kevin De Bruyne getting into the position to put the cross in. I think. Yeah. Look, a game like this because it's so bad and so horrendous. It's really easy for people to get in to lean into their own narratives about plays they do and don't like rather than just maybe calling it as you see it factually you know it's easy to kind of look at say De Gea in that in that moment and say well surely he should have come out to his post there you know gone to that side maybe you know squeezed down on Haaland you've got to remember that when the ball leaves uh, De Bruyne's foot it's all of about 0.3 of a second like it's nothing you haven't got time to react when you see the play actually open up and you see De Bruyne strolling his way towards the box all David De Gea is thinking it's going in the top corners here, and I have to cover that. He's not thinking about Haaland. The people who should be looking at Haaland there was Varane, who was doing his job. But then Delo, who absolutely wasn't doing his job. Again, on the jog, coming back, just kind of... Do you know what I've said before about players pretending to do their job? Look, I'm in my position. and Oh, they've scored. Uh, look, oh, I was here. No, you didn't affect play, did you? So I think that was Delo's fault because Delo needed to get tighter to Haaland and impede his run at the very least. Yeah, but what happened? De Bruyne looked up. He went, I'll just curl that into that space. That's easy. I can do that in my sleep. Varane had been injured. There was no way he was going to be able to stop that ball. And then I think with De Gea, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You come yeah, out for that. You come out for that. And if De Bruyne, <laughs> you come out for it, you come forward and then De Bruyne beats you from 25 yards because you see you step out. And then people are like, well, that's your fault, David De Gea. So I think this is the whole thing. The blame game and individual goals doesn't really matter to me. I'm looking at kind of the wider team. Um, so someone like Delo's had praise the last few weeks. We have praised him and said, you know, he's come along a long way. I do not go along the assertion that he's the best right back in the league. No way. And you saw that. Jack Grealish just had a 
field day against him, danced around him, ran at him, got booked after two minutes. Uh, and I think I look at that and I think that's difficult. When Varane is injured, the fullback's got to go, right, I've got to tuck in and help here because he's injured. What did Delo do? No, I'm just going to play my normal game. You play a normal game, mate, you get beaten by six. You can blame everyone for, for, yeah. for something in this. I think the fact of the matter is you are playing against a team who will every little thing, every little mistake, every poor element of your position and in yeah. every player, every ball you don't go for, every foul you don't make in midfield like Christian Eriksen did for one of, did or didn't do for one of the goals. Yeah. Everything Man City are that good that they will exploit every little weakness in your team and embarrass you. And it's important to look at it through the lens of like and this is the, this is my feeling from it. I'm not that down about it. I've got to be honest. Like I think this is a game where you just accept. I don't know whether whether this will be easy for the players to do or not. You look at it, you look what went wrong, you accept it happened, and you try and forget about it, and you move on to what you were doing just a few weeks ago. Try and just brush it off. I, I'm, I'm not saying that it'll be easy to do, but they're still six in the league after seven games. They've lost three games. They've been embarrassed in two of those defeats. Hmm. But at the same time, they've beaten some good teams. The confidence level should be higher than what, what they were after two games and at the end of last season. And to be honest, they... The squad is nowhere near done. Eric Ten Hag is still learning about his team. There's been suggestions that Ten Hag isn't ready to sanction any long-term contracts over the last few days until he's seen, the, you know, there's eight, nine players out of contract next summer. Yeah, He's not prepared to do anything until he's had a chance to actually analyze all of the players properly Yeah, uh, over the next, you know, six weeks or whatever before the World Cup because they'll have to make some decisions then. Mm-hmm. But it's, don't get too high and go, don't get too low. That's not... It's not um, Something that uh, a That's podcast, yeah, uh, <laughs> not something that all podcasts will tell you, you know, or all fan channels will tell you. It's uh, it's often about sensationalism, that kind of thing. I just, I yeah. just think, look, that's what it is. Just accept it for what it is and move on. It totally. Look, their professional pride will be damaged. There's no doubt about it. When you go to Man City, you will believe that you're great footballers. You do that. You go to go, yeah, we're great. But if you haven't done the work or you don't do the work on the day you will get hammered. Like you just said there, Man City are the perfect storm. They're the perfect storm. If you walk into their environment and you walk into the eye of the hurricane, you are dead. You're finished. It doesn't matter how good you are in the day. If you walk in there and you allow that to happen, Man City will exploit you. I think what we're seeing this year and last year with City is that teams have started to work out how to at least negate some of it. And Man United did none of that work. You know, United had pressed a kanji and Ake when they were on the ball, rather than letting them just stroll through the middle of the pitch. Half those goals don't happen. Mm-hmm. They just don't happen. You know, you just mentioned there about Christian Eriksen. There was that time where, where City break away, and Eriksen, in in their half, could have just tripped the player I was up. screaming at him. Foul yeah. him, foul him, foul him. You, him. But, but do you know why he didn't do that, Scott? Because he's not a defensive midfielder. Exactly. <laughs> so this is the thing. So like, so this is the issue. People say, oh, well, then that's why Casemiro should have played. I think, again, it's collective responsibility. That's the way it has to be. There was a time with two of the goals, wasn't it, in the box where people were like, oh, why is Ericsson marking Haaland? Well, he's not, he's not marking Haaland. He's picking up that space and that player. And Haaland is marking him going, just go on to him. Because if the ball comes in the air, 
or near us, I'm going to beat him, aren't I? He's Christian Eriksen. He's not a defensive player. So that's more about, I think, Man City's street smarts than Man United being just bad, you know. And you know, I think United themselves do lack those street smarts as a football team and then have to develop that under this manager. But, uh, you know, overall, I think, again, I think Ten Hag, like you just said about the contracts, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, David De Gea won't get a new contract. No chance. David De Gea is finished. He's gone from Man United. That is not going to happen. But Marcus Rashford probably will. Now, Marcus is the player of the month. Now, he didn't play well against City, but he's a, he's a Premier League player of the month, the reigning one. And he's earned his kind of stripes. And it was no surprise that he started. But let's flip this to positives for a little bit. Anti Martial came on and looked hungry, looked fit. And Anti Martial is going to be the number nine this year. Yeah, that's, that's the way true. it is going to be. Anti Martial being the nine will help Bruno. It will help Sancho. It's better chemistry there. And it will help Anthony. Second positive is that Anthony in the second half, I thought was actually quite good, not just for his goal. When you look at the pressures in the team, again, statistically driven, he, he had more drives at the opponent in terms of pressing and pushing into their defence than any other Man United player. It was he him looked, and Bruno. For, for lack of a better word, he looked pissed off. Yeah, and, and it you looked know, like he was trying to rectify it. Did you see when Casemiro came on, right? So two Brazilians. Casemiro comes on and he goes up to Casemiro and he's like... And like Casemiro was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see they were like, right, we've got to do something here. And there was five minutes where they both just played like madmen. And then after five minutes where City were just popping the ball around, they were a bit like... <laughs> we, we are 100 nil down here, so maybe we should just play within ourselves a little bit more. But you could see, yeah, they were they were not happy. And that's good. I don't want United players to be happy when you're getting hammered. So I think someone like Anthony is a massive positive out of that. Because I think, again, he knows what Ten Hag wants and he'll deliver it. Now, I'm not saying Jaden Sancho doesn't know. Jaden should know. But Jaden's got to be a better footballer in the Premier League. He just has, hasn't he? He's just got to be a, a kind of at that level of a 70 or 80 million pound wide forward. And I think against Man City, there was just a little bit of maybe previous there. He's a former Absolutely. Man City player. Absolutely. He would have he'd have walked into that stadium on the day and he would have remembered as a kid, not getting a chance for Pep Guardiola to say, yeah, you want to go to Dortmund? I don't need you. Because that's the truth. That's what happened. So all of those things are real. Do you know what I mean? In the player's head. And that's what I'm saying about overthinking sometimes being, you know, you've got to put all that aside. So lots of narratives there, lots of reasons why Man United was so bad, lots of individual parts. But I just think now that the the leaders of the team have to lead better. That's the way it has to be. For me, Bruno Fernandes is the biggest culprit of that. We see it way too often is that he tries to be outwardly like, look at me. Like, you know, he's like going up to referee, shouting at referee, screaming at referee. Bruno, shut up. Put the ball on the deck and play some football. But he just wants to kind of outwardly show this. And then in his presser afterwards, it's always, we're not good enough. We haven't done this. No, you haven't. You weren't good enough. You weren't doing the right stuff. Um, so that's where I think this is where Ten Hag has to go now with this project. That's just how it goes. That you've now measured yourself against the very, very best, the elite of the elite. And it showed that you're nowhere near it. So back to the drawing board. Go and do the stuff that you were doing well a few games ago. That's literally all it comes down to. You know, do some pressing, do some passing, get the ball in the final third, be economical. That is it. That's the game in a nutshell. If you do that, you'll beat more teams than you lose to. Uh, You mentioned leaders and, uh, and that kind of thing and Ten Hag. 
Mm-hmm. Been criticised uh, for not bringing on Cristiano Ronaldo. A disrespect to one of the greatest players of all time, I think Roy Keane said. Uh, Ten Hag said, I didn't bring him on out of respect for his career. Yeah. Ten Hag's been criticised for a few things since. The Ronaldo thing is always going to be there as long as he's at the club. Whether he uses him or not, if he's using him and he's not delivering goal after goal and winning United games, he will get criticised because he doesn't provide the other side of the game. If he's left on the bench like this, it'll be... Eric, why didn't you bring him on? That that's a it's a spit in the face to a, a player as good as Cristiano Ronaldo is. I understand why you didn't bring him on. Well, <laughs> do, do you? Like they, yeah. they were four nil down, four one down, five one down, or whatever it was. Why would you? Why would you bring him on for twenty minutes when the game is gone? It was gone. You know, unless you want to give him some minutes in his legs. We just played two games for Portugal. You got to protect him. You got to rest his. You got to rest him. And at the end of the day, Ronaldo wants to go. <laughs> so why? Yeah. Why? I don't, I don't understand the fallout. I think the thing is, like, this is the problem, isn't it? It's why I called it EastEnders at the top of the show, because it's all like soap opera narratives. You know, United's issue on the day was that he didn't press the space in front of them well enough. They didn't connect well in terms of passing the ball. And there was a lack of aggression, you know, in that, that kind of a bit more passive than you can get away with against Man City. Does Ronaldo solve any of those things? No, Ronaldo's not going to suddenly come on and be a Cavani. You know, if you had Cavani on the bench, you'd go, yeah, 20 minutes, half an hour of Cavani will help your team in the top end of the pitch because he can at least go running and chasing. Cristiano is the opposite, isn't he? As soon as he's got a mood on, hands on hips, looking to the sky, he was doing it on the bench as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and he knows the world is watching him. He doesn't have to do it, but he knows. So I think, again, this is why, again, top of the show, I talked about a split in the camp, is that there will still be players there who think that Ronaldo should be getting minutes, and there'll be other guys there going, no, Ronaldo doesn't deserve the minutes. Now, I'm in the latter camp, not because I don't like Cristiano, it's that I just don't think physically, at his age now, he can give you exactly what you need. Will he be remembered in years to come as a better striker than Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial? Absolutely, of course. He is the GOAT. He's always going to be remembered as the GOAT. But he cannot help you now, Scott. He cannot help you in these scenarios. He will play Europa League games at the very best and maybe the odd Premier League out in. And he is not first choice for a reason. You don't bring him on in that scenario when you need Casemiro to get minutes, you need Fred to get minutes. There's other players on the bench that need minutes who you're going to rotate in the starting eleven. I don't believe Cristiano will be one of them. He wants to go. He needs to go. Manchester United need to get that big wage, half a million pound a week, off the wage bill in January as quick as possible. There is time now. Uh, well, there's six, six-ish six weeks. There's a packed schedule of Premier League games, Europa mm. League matches. Might be a League Cup game thrown in there, I think, where Cristiano Ronaldo will get his chances. But at the end of the day... Ten Hag has got to do what's best for the team and playing a 37-year-old who's not going to carry out the instructions that he wants. It's just not its not in his best interest if he's to take Man United forward. We have probably six, seven more weeks of Ronaldo playing for United, I would imagine, because I would, I would think if Ronaldo is sitting on the bench and making all this noise, whether that's behind the scenes or whether that's publicly, George Mendes behind the scenes is going to be trying to find a way out of Old Trafford for him. And I'd imagine at some point in January it'll happen. Ronaldo will be at the World Cup and you know the Premier League schedule resumes just after Christmas, I think. 
But will we see him then? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe something will be lined up so we can get out, get to a wherever he wants to go next in January at some point. So, yeah, um, just generally, I, I don't expect to see Ronaldo coming in. Roy Keane can keep criticising Eric Ten Hag for not playing him all he wants. Mm. But it's, it's a weird narrative, isn't it? Because it's like it's not based on football. You know, if you were just looking at football metrics, football styles, function, if you were just looking at squad development, you're not going to play the guy who's going to walk out the door, are you? So there, there'll be loads of United fans who'll be like, well, he'll do better than Rashford. He'll do better than Martial. Well, better at what? Scoring goals? Yeah, he's a better goal scorer. But you've you got to get the ball to him to score goals. You can't, you get, exactly. Like, like That was what uh, I, I saw that actually on Twitter and people were talking before the game. They were like, oh, we looked at the Man City defence and thought, oh, we've got a chance here. I think Gary Neville foolishly did a little bit of a, a, mm-hmm. a kind of thing with um, with Micka Richards and went, oh, I've seen the defence today. Oh, are we going to do this lot? You've actually got to hold the ball and pass it to do that lot to score goals. And that's the issue. Ronaldo does not help you do any of those things. He just does not. And I still think it's really confusing is that that Ronaldo will leave the football club probably in January or at the very latest in the summer. And this narrative will exist forever. People will say he should have played more games. Why? Every time we've seen him in the flesh, he doesn't do that work. And that's not really to blame him, is it? But you know what? The guy who is to blame and has to carry it is Eric Ten Hag. And Ten Hag is looking at that and he's thinking, no, I need to give Martial minutes. You know, Martial might not finish the ball as well as as Cristiano, but he's my guy this year, next year, and maybe beyond. So I'm going to give him minutes. And that's the correct way to do it. My God, you don't want a manager that's just going to play Ronaldo because he's the biggest wage earner. Because you weren't going to win that game anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you lost it by six, but you did score three without Ronaldo. So that's a positive. I know it's only a very small one, but you look at the three goals that United scored and they all had value for, for, for different reasons. Um, Pep Guardiola said yesterday, he went, I don't think we played that well. We, we, we scored six, but we didn't play that well. We've played better this season. And I agree with him. I think if Man United had just turned up, had got the conversion rate right, which they did, 25%, you draw this game, yeah? Or you get something from it. So weeks ahead, unfortunately, there'll be more talk about Ronaldo. I'm not quite sure he steps back in, in the Europa League. I'm not 100% sure. I think Martial needs the minutes, yeah. Marshall needs a minute. Casemiro needs a minute. Fred needs a minute. I think those three players will get in the team. And the fact the likes of Ericsson could do with a kind of rest, maybe Bruno could do a rest. I think there's also now a case, Scott, we've not talked about it today. We'll talk about it in future weeks, that Ericsson plays as the 10. I, I, I think Bruno Fernandes needs, needs a little spell on the bench. I really do. Don't, I don't think he's playing well enough. I don't think he's doing the things he needs to do. But Christian Ericsson, I think you can kind of let him off this one because... You know, he's playing against a world-class midfield and he's playing as a six. He's not a six. So I would like to see him doing more number 10 things at the top end of the pitch. I think Ericsson behind Martial with, say, Sancho left, Anthony wide. That's a really good front four that will press, that will do the work, that should link together, have got the skill. And then you've got to work out what happens behind, whether you go with Fred Casemiro, whether McTominay partners up with one of them. You've got options. Um, you don't have a Paul Pogba to drop in there in that kind of way in terms of a ball player. But you have still got other players who can come into the team and give you a little bit of variation. Yes, uh, I think that one has happened. Learn from it, try and move on from it. And that is the best thing to do because there's a lot of games coming up. Man United play Ammonia Nicosia, I believe, in the Europa League on Thursday night. I think Rob will be back just after, well, Friday morning, I think we'll be back. But I think we'll record just after that game takes place. 
And then Everton on Sunday night at 7 p.m., which is a bit of a grim one because of Premier League scheduling. Yeah, I've t- we said this again last week about why 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 the times are changing. The 2 p.m. slot becoming more popular. Seven o'clock now is a is like prime time USA slot, isn't it? And uh, and lunchtime kickoff there in the United States. Um, but this is what it is, isn't it? We're going to see a lot more of these kind of kickoffs. But I think the Everton game is a is a good reset. You know, in terms of a team to play against, will allow you to probably play four three three. Will allow you to be a little bit more expansive. Give you a bit more time on the ball in midfield. Um, but the Nicosia game now, it's, it's going to be really interesting on Thursday to see the team that he picks because he's gone strong, isn't he? He's not used the Europa League to just make mad changes. Like, you know, like I think Ole would have made seven, eight, nine changes in years gone by in this, in this kind of fixture. Uh, I actually think he's going to put a really strong team out there because he'll, he'll want to get the cultural winning back, won't he? After that six-goaler, he'll want to kind of go, right, let's go and play Nicosia beat what's in front of you. Let's get back to pressing. Let's get back to passing. Let's get back to finding our identity that we just threw in the bin against Man City. Yes, indeed. Two games coming up thick and fast, and it will continue to be that way for the remaining uh, time until the World Cup. But thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a jet off. Uh, You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise on MU. Also subscribe on YouTube, the Promise and a Manchester United podcast is what you can search for. Uh, find today's video and every video we've ever done. Like the video, leave a comment, subscribe and engage. And uh, we'll see you just after United play their next game. Hopefully they'll win 6-3 this time or maybe 6-0. We'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, United have some work to do, but we knew that it would be that way anyway. So thanks very much for listening, everyone. We will be back later this week. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.